0: Jesus, thank you uh, for your life, and your love towards us. Thank you that we can still engage with you, God. We can worship you. We can hear your word and we can grow as disciples, even though we're not corporately gathered right now, that we can uh, come on as best as we can and still engage in community together. We thank you, Lord, for the uh, the technology that allows us to do that. I pray, Jesus, that you would uh, soften our hearts to each other during this time. Help us to speak your love and your life to one another. Help us to cultivate hope in our city. Uh, in our world. Lord, open our hearts to your word today uh, that we may receive your transforming life, uh, that you would minister to us, Holy Spirit, that you would comfort and encourage us and help us to be a comfort and encouragement to others. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. So John 6, right? It's a familiar passage. Jesus feeds the 5,000. It's an amazing miracle But much more than a miracle of provision, it directly parallels Israel's experience in the wilderness. It's one of the signs that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. God provided manna to Israel in the wilderness through Moses, but now Jesus, like the new Moses or a new prophet is feeding hungry people in a desolate place where there was no food in fact several times in John 6 uh, John references or, or actually calls back and alludes to Numbers chapter 11 where God provided the manna or the meat uh, in the wilderness where there was great need and very few resources now take a look at verse 14 so that's kind of the context now I'll jump into Luke for, for verse 14 um After the miracles occurred, what does it say? It says, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. So the meaning of the sign of the miracle um, is not lost on the people. They realize what's happened, and when they see the sign, they think, this is the prophet who is to come. Now, that idea of a prophet who would come is a reference back to Deuteronomy 18, and in that passage, Moses tells Israel, the Lord your God, this is when Moses is finishing his career, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen now to some degree I mean, there's prophets all through Israel's history from Moses to Jesus and in some ways you could say you know they are uh, fulfilling the prophetic role of calling people to faithfulness and pointing people to God but Jesus is doing this in a very particular way by also providing the sign of the bread um, he's the fulfillment of all of the prophetic offices of pointing us ultimately into relationship with God right So the people believe when they see the the sign of the the multiplication of the bread and the fish, that he's the prophet who's to come. It kind of becomes attached to this messianic idea of a Messiah savior who's going to come and set things right. So they believe that Jesus, both through his teaching and now through the miracle uh, of the bread in the wilderness to the hungry multitude, that he's the new Moses. And they're right. He is the new Moses, which is really, really cool. In fact, in Acts 3, Peter himself confirms that Jesus is the new Moses to Israel. And that's when he's calling Israel to repentance and to faith in Jesus just after Jesus' death and resurrection. Listen to Acts 3, uh, verse 19 to 22. This is Peter. Uh, Calling the Jews, he says, Repent therefore, turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And so Peter himself is making the connection that Jesus is the new Moses. And now they're called to repent, to turn back, to uh, repent of their sins, turn away from their sins and come into life with Christ, come into times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. And in response, uh, so so Peter Uh, um, in response to Peter's message, many people come to faith, right? It's this awesome opening moment in Acts uh, chapter three. So yes, Jesus is that prophet, that new Moses, so to speak, who's to come. And and so now jump back to, to John six. They say, hey, this is the prophet who's to come. Then what happens in verse 15? Jesus realizes what they're gonna do, right? So perceiving then that they're about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain, by himself, and so the people, in responding to uh, the bread, the multiplication miracle, the feeding of the five thousand plus, they think we're just going to get this guy and, like, let's make him the king, like right now. Let's just we'll raise him up and we'll we'll like have a revolution. Right? It's a good intentioned thought, but it's misinformed because they want to make Jesus king by force. And what does Jesus do? He actually withdraws from the whole situation and goes off to the mountain, likely to to go and pray, which he would do often. He would be in communion with the Father. It's interesting, isn't it? When we often are um, so uh, allured by success or influence, how often we would want to stay and, and use that situation. Even we might say, use that situation for God's glory. Jesus just resists, um, kind of the being the public figure at this moment. It's really interesting. He retreats to the mountain. He doesn't want to be pushed into the middle of this mob, and especially a mob who's after uh, a sort of a, a futile, but rather kind of spontaneous uprising against the Roman authorities. Jesus isn't interested in that, because the people don't really get what sort of kingship Jesus is about. Jesus' kingship is not just geographical or political or national. It's, it's spiritual and cosmic. When Jesus is before Pilate in John 18, he tells Pilate, who's the, the Roman official in the area, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting. Meaning, if this was about a revolution uh, over a nationalistic geographical thing, uh, we could have had a, a small zealot uprising and tried to overthrow you, right? My servants have not been fighting so that I... Um, my servants would have been fighting so that I wouldn't be delivered over to the Jews, right? We would have resisted the crucifixion. If this was um, just about uh, sort of a military coup, then Jesus' disciples would have resisted him being uh, given over uh, to Pilate and to the Jewish authorities. Jesus himself, if if he was after a larger, uh, a different sort of game, uh, a geographical or political or national takeover... Uh, letting himself be arrested and killed probably isn't the best way to do that. But Jesus says, if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. It's much bigger than just uh, borders and who's in charge, uh, who's currently sitting on the throne. It's bigger than that. Of course, Jesus is the true king who is truly on the throne, but he's on the throne as the Lamb. Remember when we did our Revelation series, we talked about uh, some of that. So this opening exchange really illustrates the central theme of this sermon, which is that um, Jesus actually satisfies our deepest hunger in our hearts and in our lives. He's the one who satisfies. But far too often, what we think we want is not what we really need. The people think they want a particular kind of leader, and Jesus just withdraws from that entirely. The crowds want a revolution, Jesus won't give it to them. The crowds aren't focused on the more insidious enemy of sin itself. They see the the flesh and blood soldiers of Rome before them, but Jesus sees a much deeper enemy. And Jesus will be the king and he will be exalted, but his exaltation is actually going to be on the cross where he's lifted up. That'll be his enthronement. And it will be um, not just to rout out Rome, which eventually will, you know, that will all change hands and in the politics of of the world and through uh, the Middle East and Europe over centuries. But Jesus is going to rout out a much more, uh, more insidious enemy. He's going to root out sin and evil and death, not just out of Israel, but out of all of our hearts, worldwide, for anyone who will receive the gift of God's grace. That's what Jesus is after. And so Jesus and the disciples leave the area. The crowds aren't happy about it. They send out a searching party to go find him. Eventually they catch up with him on the other side of the sea. And Jesus confronts again their reason for following him. In verse 26, he says, You're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. So the implication here is that the people are only really seeking Jesus because of the physical or material benefit that he can give them, whether that's food in that moment or, you know, liberation from Rome, right? Instead, they should seek him because of the miraculous signs he's done and the signs point to his true identity as Yahweh among them. And they should follow and love him because of that, that he's God himself come to dwell with them. So that's sort of the second misunderstanding. The crowds, they misunderstand how to satisfy their deepest longings. And I think this is so like us. Once again, we don't often know what we truly need. Sometimes we can sense a deep longing in our hearts, but we don't know how to satisfy that. They hear Jesus saying, don't work for the food that perishes. They ask, well, what works are required by God? And Jesus replies, the, the work really is simply to believe that I'm the Messiah, and they ask Jesus again if he'll perform the manna sign, right? Again, characterizing Jesus as the prophet like Moses. And then Jesus refocuses their questions again in verse thirty-two. He says, "Well, it was not Moses that really that gave the bread; it was God Himself. It was my Father who gave the true bread." So Jesus is more than just the prophet like Moses, right? They've got, they've caught on to that part enough. But he's more than just Moses. He's also the one who provides the true bread. He is Yahweh himself who has come to feed them. And now he's coming with more than physical bread. He's come to nourish them and nourish us in an even deeper way. Which brings us finally to verse 35 and our first I am statement of this series. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. As the bread Of life, Jesus can nourish us spiritually. He can satisfy the deepest longings in our soul. And in that sense, all who trust in him will never hunger again. Our longing to know God, to be made whole, and to be made right in God and before God. The longing we have to know that we're loved, that we're forgiven, that we're accepted. The longing we we have to know that we're good enough, that we're worthy of God's love. All of that is satisfied and uh, relieved and fulfilled in Jesus. I love the words of this hymn. This is a Keith and, and Kristen Getty hymn. That says, my worth is not in what I own. Which really gets to the heart of who we are and our own worth being found and satisfied in Jesus. Listen to the words of this hymn. My worth is not in what I own, not in the strength of flesh and bone, but in the costly wounds of love at the cross. My worth is not in skill or name, in win or lose, in pride or shame but in the blood of Christ that flowed at the cross. And then the chorus. I rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. And I will trust in him, no other. My soul is satisfied in him alone. Jesus is the bread of life who offers to nourish us spiritually, to satisfy the longings of our hearts. And we can only find those truly satisfied in him alone. I think of another hymn, Be Thou My Vision, which is probably my favorite worship song, not just him. And there's this great verse about um, finding our heart's longings found in Jesus instead of just in riches or materialism. It goes, riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. How many of us Uh, sometimes try and find our identity and what other people think of us, right? Thou mine inheritance now and always, thou and thou only be first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure, thou art. And so this passage uh, just illustrates the driving need of humanity, right? They're following Jesus. They're needing to be filled With wisdom for life. Um, That's why they're following his teaching, right? But they're also uh, looking ultimately for knowledge and for relationship with God. They have deep needs that are only satisfied in Jesus. But I think this passage is also telling us the startling truth about ourselves. Once again, we don't know what will truly satisfy us. Sometimes we can identify a longing, um, but we try and find that fulfilled in someone other than Jesus. We may be aware of a deep desire. We may be aware of an emptiness in our lives, in our hearts. Maybe you're aware of an emptiness or longing in your own being or in your own life. Jesus himself shines the spotlight on our true need, and he is himself the answer to our questions and the fulfillment of our longings. The passage also teaches us something else which is that we often resist jesus right by the end of this exchange a lot of the people who are initially wanting to follow jesus walk away they're put out by his words and even when on the outside looking in it seems obvious to us that that they should trust him we often do the same too we're often resistant to the transformation that god wants to bring in our lives aren't we I know in my own experience of uh, discipling people, sometimes it just seems really obvious what someone might need in their life. Um, Sometimes it just seems really obvious they need to surrender to God. They need to bow the knee and they just sometimes won't. They just don't do it. They may believe to God to some degree, but sometimes people just don't fully surrender. They still want to satisfy their deepest longings on their own somehow. There will always be a temptation in life There will always be an excuse to make not to give Jesus our everything. There will always be something that will want to pull us away from a wholehearted devotion to God. There will always be some other idea or some other activity or some other desire that we'll try to use to fill the emptiness or the whole or the needs that we recognize in our own hearts. But nothing can satisfy our greatest need, which is forgiveness for our sins, which is uh, eternal life and relationship that's offered by Jesus alone. And that's why in verse 56, Jesus connects the deepest hungers of our hearts and that he's the bread of life to his own upcoming sacrifice. (laughs) In verse 56, Jesus says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. It's this startling um, kind of graphic image, right? And because of these words, a lot of them just turn back. But to eat this bread and to drink this cup means to truly believe that Jesus Body and shed blood make atonement for my sins at the cross. That his death was enough to cover me and all my failings. That he again satisfies the deepest needs in my heart. That gospel offends us, the gospel confronts the sinner in their sin, but it's also life giving. Jesus doesn't leave us in our sin, he invites all who will repent and believe into forgiven, life giving salvation with God. He's the bread of life, after all. And by trusting and believing in him, we can abide in him and have eternal life. It, it changes us forever. And our souls can be satisfied in him alone. So what about you? Is your soul satisfied? Or are you restless or uneasy or longing for something in your life? Have you come to Christ? Or do you seek fulfillment elsewhere? Maybe you have come to Christ, but you've gotten used to hearing plenty of those other voices, lots of the noise out there that distracts us from that wholehearted devotion to God, where we try to find our worth in just about anything else. But only Christ alone can satisfy our deepest hungers and thirsts for love and for truth, for life, for God himself. And so my prayer for each one of you who is listening today is that we could truly sing I will trust in him, no other. Let Jesus be the bread of life today for you. Come and eat, and may your soul be satisfied in him alone. Let's pray together. God, I thank you again for this day, and I thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, would you uh, show us in this moment where in our lives we need to uh, surrender more deeply to you, would you show us, God, if there's places where we've tried to satisfy uh, longings in our hearts, hungers in our hearts with someone or something other than you? Lord, we just repent of the times we've we've gone after idols. We've sought something else in our lives. Jesus, we come to you today as the bread of life. And uh, Lord, we cling to you as our hope. Uh, as our sustenance, as our nourishment during this time. Help us to cultivate a life, God, where we spend the time with you so we can grow in faith and grow in the love and the hope that you uh, have come to give us. Lord, bless each one who's uh, been uh, engaging with this service today. Bless their homes, their families, their workplaces. Keep them healthy and safe, we pray. We pray for our leadership uh, in Dryden, in our province, uh, in our nation. God, we pray for a move of your Holy Spirit that would come and uh, draw many, many, many to faith in you. Uh, and with, uh, with hearts uh, full of your hope, we give you thanks for this day. And pray that you would send us out uh, with your love. Uh, to share with with others as we proclaim your gospel we ask this in your name amen Amen. friends uh let me give you this benediction children of god who are loved and forgiven through our lord jesus christ may you know jesus as the bread of life may you find uh, your soul's longing uh, in him alone may he satisfy uh, the deepest desires of your heart to know that you are loved and forgiven and welcomed into God's family, welcomed home through Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. Uh, love you very much. Hope we can connect with you again soon. Uh, in the meantime, uh continue to follow Jesus you know, in the adventure of uh, living for Him. And uh keep your hopes up. Continue in prayer. Uh again, love you.